Hello and good morning. Um, we are the Witt family. My name is Isaac. These are my sisters, Ingrid, Izzy, and Ivy. And um, my parents, Steve and Becky. And today we are going to be lighting the third candle of Advent, which is, which is the candle of joy. We're all born with a deep longing for joy, but sometimes joy is as fleeting as the sunshine on a dark winter day. When life feels bleak, we need something brighter than Christmas cheer. We need deep joy that comes from knowing who we are and whose we are. We are children of God, deeply loved by our Father, the giver of life. Let's pray as a church family. God of joy, when our hearts feel dead, breathe your life into us again. When we're afraid of the dark, remind us that you are the light of the world. When joy to the world is hard to come by, ignite our hearts with your joy. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we do just thank you for this morning, um, the opportunity to be together as a, as a church family, um, to acknowledge and recognize and worship you as our King of Kings the one who took on flesh to dwell among us, our rescuer. Continue to meet us in this place this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome. We're so glad that you've joined us today for worship. Uh, we're excited as we continue to celebrate Advent together, as we continue to enter into this uh, time of anticipation and hope and waiting um, and we look forward to being uh, able to continue in John chapter 1 this morning. Just real quickly, uh, a couple of quick reminders. Again, if you're new with us, we're so glad you're here. Uh, please, if you have like two minutes following the service, swing by our welcome desk. We would love to meet you uh, and, and get to know you a bit, answer any questions uh, that you may have about the church and ways to get involved or plugged in here. We'd love to answer those for you. Um, but mostly just, just to put a face with a name. Um, we, we'd love to just chat for a bit. We have a small gift to leave uh, with you as well. Um, just a reminder, next weekend, uh, all of our services are our Christmas services. So on the 23rd, these cards are out in the lobby. It's got all the information on them. That Saturday evening at our normal Saturday evening service worship time uh, will be our first service. And then Sunday morning on the 24th, we'll have one service at 10 a.m., and then Sunday afternoon at 4, we'll have another uh, Christmas Eve service at 4. So all of those are available. Um, if you have not already registered for the service, uh, please do so. That just helps us be prepared as we welcome guests. A lot of guests join us over the, the course of those three services, and, and we want to create a welcoming experience for them. And then also, if you have, we have child care for birth through four years old for those services. If you could register for that as well, if your children will be in there um, uh, participating in that, that, that helps us be prepared with child care workers as well. One thing to note on that is the following weekend, the New Year's Eve weekend of the 30th and 31st, across all the Chapel Street campuses, all services will be online that weekend. Our, our, our staff and our key volunteers are putting in uh, tons of hours um, preparing for Christmas, and so we're just trying to give them a spot to be with their family and catch their breath a bit. But we will have one in-person service at our South Street campus Sunday morning at 9. So if you want that, 
Um, if, if that would be um, important to you, that will be available at our South Street campus. So just make, make note of that, and we'll try to send some reminders as, as well for that. So that's kind of the schedule over the next couple weeks. Um, finally, throughout Advent, we've been talking about our, our Serve the World partners and telling stories of the way that your generosity has helped make gospel impact both locally and, and globally. Um, for those of you that are new here, Serve the World is a giving initiative that we do above and beyond our regular giving that goes outside of our church walls to uh, ministry partners and, and different areas in different ways. And this morning, we're going to talk about one of our previous partners, uh, Naomi House. And if you're familiar with that ministry, they come alongside of women who have been trafficked uh, and exploited and, and help um, them recover and take a journey towards um, a new life. And uh, so you're going to hear one of those stories this morning. And I just, if you have kids with you in the service, I just want you to be aware that the, uh, the, the content is a bit more mature. And so as a parent, if you're like, hey, I'll, I'll step outside with my kid for a second, you, you can do that. Um, but I, I wanted you to know that this morning. So this is uh, the story from um, Serve the World for, for this week. When you ask how trafficking became a part of my life, its tentacles was digging deep into my life before I even realized what it was. There was nothing ingrained in me in my childhood for you're better than this or you're worthy. I never really knew about the worth of God and how God feels about his daughters. The way I understood sex as a teenager and as a young person is there's not a deeper meaning to it. We're just seeking outside of ourselves to fill a void. I had lost my virginity to a man who was much older than me and then I started using drugs shortly thereafter and it was my family's drugs. That was my crutch to use drugs for so long. It made me a target for traffickers. I was easily accessible. I had no self-worth. I had not a shred of self-esteem at all. It took me a long time to get to the point to where I was done. And then eventually I got arrested. I was one of the hopeless varieties that a lot of people said they probably would never get out, and I did. I see somebody who was in a lot of pain what would you say to that girl now? I don't know. I would tell her there's hope. I went into a treatment facility on my own, and then shortly after, while I was in a program in downtown Chicago, I went into Naomi's house. Naomi's house is just so comfortable. It was definitely like a home that I had always dreamed of that never thought that I would have. Every woman in there just showed so much grace and was so welcoming. What I come from was complete hate, constantly having to watch my back. And I come into this house of women who just want to build me up. And I can tell they're walking with the Lord. It showed me a way that was so foreign to me, but was what God wanted for me all along. I would say when I came to Naomi's house, my relationship with him got really strong. 
There's devotions in the morning. Every woman in there, the shift supervisors, have all been instrumental in my journey with Christ. I went back to school while I was still in Naomi's house. I was able to accumulate 22 credits while I was there. I got my certified recovery support specialist certificate. I was a case aide, basically hung out with the clients and just like took them to lunch and dinner and I'm able to be an advocate for some of them. The way it makes me feel when I'm able to help other women is the most immense amount of joy I have ever felt. And I believe that I went through everything I went through so that I can come back and help people um, that are just like me. And because of Naomi's house, I get the opportunity to do that every day. How have I seen God working in my story? <laughs> Whew. He's so good. He's all over my story. He's everywhere. My whole story has just been tailor fit better than I could have ever imagined. That's been my whole like experience since I decided to surrender to him. Okay. Oh, okay. I got it. All right. The year of the Lord's favor, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our Lord, to comfort all who mourn and provide to those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. What a beautiful story. How good is God? This is why we do serve the world. It's why we encourage you each year to give because we know that, that what we give and the organizations that we partner with are not just numbers, they're, they're not just random faces, that they're, they're people that God cares deeply about. And so as Pastor Sterling mentioned, we'd love for you to be a part of this this year. Uh, our goal as a church is to raise $300,000 to, uh, to partner and, and to equip and to resource organizations like Naomi's House and dozens others that are doing so much good work. And so we'd love for you to be a part of it. If you're able to, we'd love for you to be praying about what you can participate in that way. Uh, anything that you mark serve the world will go, 100% of it that comes in will go all the way out. And so uh, we're excited to see what God continues to do in people like Becky all over the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to remember who you are, to hear stories of lives that are changed by your grace. Lord, thank you for being a light in the darkness. Would you be that light for us now? Would you speak to us? We ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, like many of you, we in the Scavato house are getting excited for Christmas. I think we're in the single digits in our countdown. 
And uh, this is the first Christmas for us where Luca kind of knows what's going on, uh, and he loves the Christmas season. He loves the decorations. He loves the music. Uh, The other day, I was sitting with him, and we were eating, like, lunch or something like that, and just out of the blue, he looks at me, and he goes, ho, 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 and then he goes back (laughs) eating. It was adorable. Uh, We went to the, the Christmas concert. Anybody go to the Christmas concert last weekend? It was so, so good, wasn't it? So well done. And, uh, and he just enjoyed it so much. But I think we need to teach him concert etiquette uh, because he does not understand inside voices yet. And so he was so, like, just excited and enthralled by it. But what he would do is just, like, point at things that he noticed and liked, and he would yell about it. So, like, anytime there was a lighting change, he'd be like, lights! <laughs> be like, all right, let's go to the lobby and look at him out there. Uh, one of the things that I'm looking forward to, though, uh, just as he continues to grow older is... is passing on some of our family Christmas traditions. Maybe you have some of these, some of the the things that you do during the holiday season. I've shared before, one of my favorite uh, Scavato family traditions is to make cannoli homemade from scratch. It's one of our favorite things that we do every year. Scavatos all around the country will do this. We just make dozens and dozens of them. We could have our own business if we wanted. And, And every time I mention this, someone always comes up to me and asks me if I would share with them. No. I will not do that. I don't want to share with my own family. I'm not sharing with you. I'm too selfish. They're too good. But, but this is one of the things that we look forward to every year, isn't it? It's one of the ways that we get to participate in the life of our family, where we get to show these next generations that come after us that, that part of what it means to be a scavato is that your desserts are so good. Praise the Lord. But this is what I want to do with you today as we're continuing in our Advent series. We've been looking at uh, John chapter 1, the very introduction, the, the prologue to John's gospel. And what we've been doing, if you've been tracking with us, is noticing some of the themes that keep popping up for John in his writing. Some of the words that we've noticed being repeated, some of the focuses that he wants his readers to notice. We looked at Jesus as the word the word that creates, that sustains, that speaks life, that speaks to you. The word becoming flesh, the good news of the Christmas story. We looked at Jesus as the light, this beautiful image that we see all throughout the Advent season of Jesus shining in the darkness, of Jesus offering grace and offering truth, comfort and joy, hope when there is only despair. Today we're looking at our third theme, the third focus that we see John introduce in his prologue, life. We see Jesus, the life. So what we're going to do is start in John chapter 1. I want to just read the first four verses of you, uh, with you. They'll be familiar to those of you that have been tracking with us, but listen to these words today. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That last sentence, in him was life, the life was the light of men. That's going to be sort of the foundation of our time together, this idea that in Christ is life itself. So what I want to do today is simply ask the question, what does that life look like? 
What does it mean that in Jesus is life? Perhaps just as importantly, what does it mean for you today, in 2023, that in Christ is life itself? What do we know about that kind of life? What does it look like to live according to the love and the glory and the grace and the truth of Christ? So to answer these questions, what we're going to do is kind of trace the theme of life throughout the Gospel of John. It's one of the things that if you read John, you're going to notice this word come up all over his Gospel. He comes back to it over and over again. And so we're just going to notice a few things about what it means to live according to Christ. The first thing that I want to show you is that Jesus offers new life. He offers new life. Look with me to John 1 verse 9. It says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Many of you have, have uh, asked us this. Judy and I, uh, we've shared this before. We're expecting our second child. We recently found out that we're having a baby girl, uh, which we're very excited about. And uh, we're excited to, to welcome this new member into our family, to, uh, to see Luca become a big brother. And, and one of the things that Judy has been telling me since we found out that it is a girl is that having a girl is going to unravel me. Um, I had someone actually last night tell me that, that having a girl is going to make me fall apart. I think it's kind of nice that people think that I haven't already fallen apart. Like, <laughs> I'll take that. I haven't been raveled in several years, but it's fine. But it's been interesting uh, being in this season of life during Advent. For us, for our family, we're doing what we should all be doing in this time, which is waiting for new life. Anticipating, hoping, looking forward to preparing our homes, preparing our hearts, preparing our lives for new birth. When you read the New Testament, this is the image that over and over the biblical authors use, this idea of the Christian life being one of rebirth, of being born again. Look at John uh, 1, verse 12 and 13 again. We just read this, but look at this again. He says that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, for John, this is what the Christian life looks like. It is a life of being reborn, of being given new birth, of being born in the Spirit of God, of becoming one of his children. And again, what John is doing here is giving us a tie-in all the way back to the Genesis creation account. We've talked about this before throughout this series, how John, in the way that he writes this and some of the words that he uses, what he's trying to do is make us think about Genesis 1. We saw this, him, him begin this, John 1, verse 1, in the beginning. Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning. All of these themes, all of these tie-ins, he's trying to say, remember how all of this started. That's how the story begins. Even what we read earlier, that in him was life. What we're supposed to be thinking of in John's mind is Genesis chapter 2. 
We see this in verse 7, that the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. See, this is what the Bible claims, that life did not come from nothing. That all of this is not just a random accident. That you and me and the world around us, that we came from something. That the breath of God breathed you into existence. That you have purpose that you have calling, that you have identity, that you are not an accident, that all of this comes from God himself. And John is saying, just as what happened for you physically is what must happen for you spiritually if you are to be given new life. The breath of God, the spirit of God must transform you at your very deepest level. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 3, just a few chapters after what we just read. Uh, Jesus, in his ministry, is approached by one of the teachers of the law, a man named Nicodemus, who approaches Jesus and, and essentially tries to get at, you know, what, what's going on with you? Something is happening. Clearly, you have power, but, but what is it that you believe about yourself and about the world? And this is what Jesus says, verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? You see what he's saying? Jesus, what you're saying is impossible. What are you talking about? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is saying to us today, that Christianity is so much more than what so many people think that it is. The Christian faith is not simply a self-improvement strategy. It's not a series of life hacks. It's not simply about making you a better person. It might there's wisdom in how God calls us to live, but at its core, to be a follower of Christ is not about becoming a better person or simply living a moral life, not just an invitation to a life with more boundaries. It is not something you can do on your own. It is not something that you achieve by being good enough. Jesus is saying that to be a follower of mine, it is about death and resurrection. You must be born again. You must become a new creation. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that the old must pass away and the new must arrive. This is the life that Jesus invites us to. This is why we practice baptism uh, here at our church. And, and if you've been baptized here at Chapel Street, maybe you remember that when we put you under the water, we declared that you are buried with Christ in baptism. That as you are put under this water, it's the symbol of, of your old self passing away. And then we raise you up and we say that you are raised with him in new life. It's this moment of celebration and joy of what God has done in our hearts. This is what God is inviting us to. According to John, this is the entire reason that he wrote his gospel. Because his desire and God's desire is that we would experience this new life. 
This is John 20, verse 31. He says that these are written, these, the accounts of Jesus, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is the Christmas story. This is what God did for his people 2,000 years ago. Some of you know your Old Testament history. If not, before Jesus was born, the people of God had been waiting for God to bring new life for hundreds of years. They had been living under foreign rule. They had been suffering, persecuted. They had experienced poverty. They had been dying. And for hundreds of years, they had heard nothing from God. And they were waiting, waiting for new life. They had been holding on to verses like we see in Isaiah chapter 11, that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Their prayer was that just like in the days of King David, that God would bring a king to bring them victory. That they would experience life out of death. And that's what God did. And that's what we remember. And that's what we celebrate. If you have put your faith in Jesus, that he did the same thing for you. That this is who your God is. He is a God of new beginnings. We have a God who knows how to bring life out of death and hope out of despair and beauty out of ashes and light out of darkness. We have a God who does not make bad people a little bit better. He makes dead people come alive. And this is what he has done for us. This is Becky's story that we just heard. Did you notice that phrase that she used? That she was one of the hopeless varieties. Aren't we all? Nobody would have predicted where her life went, and yet how good is God? And this is the invitation that God gives to you today. If there is part of your life that feels like it is dead, if you need rebirth, a fresh start, you have a God of new beginnings. If there is a broken relationship or an area of sin or a sense of calling or purpose that you are waiting for God to reveal, let this Advent season be a reminder that in our waiting, God is working, that he is a God of new beginnings. This is our first invitation. Here's the second one, that Jesus offers abundant life. Abundant life. When you hear that phrase, the, the word abundance, what comes to your mind? For some of you, maybe you think of uh, this person. This is uh, Shohei Otani. He's a professional baseball player, and he just signed the largest professional sports contract in history. Ten years, $700 million. I'm going to get Luca into baseball tomorrow, I think. And if you're a sports fan, maybe you know this or, or heard about this, that, that Otani wanted to structure his contract in kind of a weird way where he wanted to defer a lot of the money. And basically what it means that 20 years from now, in 2043, he is guaranteed to make $68 million. No, nothing I just said even sounded real. 2043, are we even going to be here in 2043? Maybe you think of some of these guys. These are uh, some of the richest people in the world. Uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, 
all billionaires. Don't they all kind of look like bad guys in a movie? <laughs> kind of scared just looking at that picture. Uh, I was talking to, uh, to Pastor Brian, and he told me that he did the math, and it's pastor math, so take this with a grain of salt. Uh, but he did the math, and he found out that if Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, spent $1 million every single day, he could do that for 600 years. But then he'd be in trouble. So, you know, <laughs> you better watch out. Is this the abundant life, though? <laughs> Certainly, these are people that have an abundance, that never have to worry about money, never have to look at a price tag, never have to make a budget like the rest of us do. But is this true abundance? It shouldn't be surprising that Jesus has much to say, that Scripture has much to say about the abundant life. It probably shouldn't be surprising either that it has nothing to do with wealth or fame or success. Let's pick up in John 10, verse 10. Jesus, in talking about the abundant life, says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has come to give us an abundant life. The word that he uses there is this image of, of total excess, of having more than you could possibly need. One translation I saw said that it's this idea of continuously being surrounded by enough. Abundance, in the context of this verse, is not about being promised an easy life, not a guarantee of riches or wealth or health or success, but rather it's framed in the context of contentment, peace, joy, of being able to declare that no matter my circumstances, I continuously am surrounded by enough. I have what I need. This, according to Scripture, is abundance. This is the life that Jesus invites us to. And Scripture gives us two ways to live an abundant life. First, abundance comes when you remember who you belong to. Jesus, when he's speaking these words in John 10, he's having this back and forth with the Pharisees, and, and essentially what he's doing is trying to show how the way of Jesus, his way, is better than what they were offering. And to do so, he uses this image of a sheep and a shepherd. Maybe you've heard the, the phrase, I am the good shepherd. That's actually the very next verse after what we just read in John 10. And so he uses this analogy of being a shepherd and leading his sheep, and what he's doing so is echoing this Old Testament language, most famously in Psalm 23. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Don't you want that kind of life? Isn't this the life that deep down your soul longs for? Don't you want to be free from always competing and always comparing and always needing more? To be able to say, I shall not want. Don't you want God to 
bring you to still waters and restore your soul? Don't you want to be able to declare that even in the presence of those who stand against me, God has given me enough and my cup overflows? See, this is, according to Scripture, true abundance. The abundant life comes from the everyday guidance of God as our shepherd. It comes from surrendering, or to put it this way, the abundant life is the abandoned life. When we abandon our sense of control, when we recognize that life goes better when he's in charge because he is my shepherd. For some of us, the reason that we don't experience abundance is because we refuse to let God make us lie down. And we are just going and going and going, and we are so reliant on our own strength or our own intelligence or our own skills or our own ability to provide. And God is saying, just lie down. Just let me restore you. Let me remind you that I am your provider. For some of us, the reason that we don't experience abundance is because God wants to lead us to paths of righteousness rather than temptation. But it is a choice that he will let you make. For most of us, the, the thing that keeps us from abundance is control. The question that Jesus gives to us is, who is your shepherd? Will you let me guide you? People who live a truly abundant life recognize that most of the control that we think we have is simply an illusion. We recognize that we are the sheep and he is the shepherd. And life goes better when he is in charge. We experience abundance when we remember who we belong to. And then the second thing, when we remember what we are here for. What we're here for. Ephesians 2, Paul talks about this idea. He says this in verse 8. That by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice all that Paul is saying here that salvation is a gift given to us by grace, by God. It's all grace. It's not something that we should take any sort of pride in. We're not better people, it's all a gift of his. And when we receive that gift, we are given a greater purpose in the world. What? Good works. To do the good that is ahead of us. If you're looking for a purpose statement in your life, you could do much worse than that one. That I am God's child, loved by him, placed here to do the good that he has put in front of me. This, by the way, is why it feels good to do good. You ever notice that? When you've gone to serve somewhere or someone where you've donated at Shepherd's Heart or served at Chapel Street Kids or gone out and met a need in the community, this is why you feel that sense of joy when you do that. For those of you that have gone on a missions trip locally or, or around the world, this is why so many times you come back and you say that I feel like I got just as much as I gave. 
This is Becky's story. We, we heard her say this, that, that serving at Naomi's house and giving back to what has been done in her life has given her more joy than she has ever experienced. All of this is abundance. And it is found when we live as God has created us to live, when we do the good that is in front of us. And this is the secret that so many people miss about life, that she could spend $1 million every day for 600 years, and she would not find the same fulfillment. There is nothing that the world can offer her that is better than that. This week, we uh, had our friends over at the Batavia Apartments uh, here at, our, at the Mill Creek campus. We hosted a, a Christmas party. We had dinner, and they could pick up gifts for their kids, and, and it was this just loud and crazy and chaotic day, but it was so, so joyful. And there was a sense of this is what it's supposed to be. Serving God, loving neighbor, sitting around tables, sharing a meal. This is abundant. We experience the abundant life when we live how we've been created to live. If you are seeking the abundant life of Jesus, start there. Remember who you belong to and remember what you're here for. Do the good that he has put in front of you. Here's the last thing. Jesus offers eternal life. Let's look at John 11, verse 25 and 26 together. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question we'll end with today. Do you believe this? This statement uh, by Jesus is one of the great I am statements in the book of John. We're going to be doing a sermon series next year all about the seven I am statements. It's going to be so much fun. That's something that only preachers think, but it'll be fun, I promise. But, but Jesus, in, in saying this statement in John 11, is speaking to his friend Martha. And Martha's brother Lazarus has just passed away. And Martha comes to Jesus and in this moment of of grief and confusion and faith and doubt and all these things kind of packaged together. She comes to Jesus and and she says, Jesus, if you were here, this would not have happened. You ever come to God with a question like that? God, you could have stopped this, so why didn't you? Where were you? Why didn't you show up? Jesus' response is, is beautiful. We're told in the story, if we were to read the whole thing, that Jesus uh, doesn't answer this prayer, not because he's cruel, but because he's doing something bigger and better, that he isn't trying to heal Lazarus, that he is going to resurrect him. And in this moment of glory, he raises Lazarus from the dead and calls him out of this grave, and, and it's this picture of what eternal life will look like with Christ if you put your faith in him the story that points us ultimately to the Easter message, this promise of what Jesus will do. But before we get there, look again at the question that he asks of his grieving and emotional and hurting friend, because it is the question that he asks of us today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life?
Do you believe not just that Christmas is a good thing to celebrate and not just that a cute baby was born in a manger? Do you believe that he is more than a good teacher or a good mentor or a good role model for how to live and stand with the hurting and the oppressed? Do you believe that he is the life, the eternal life, the only way to life with God? Do you believe in him? And will you receive him? Not just as your savior, but as your Lord. This is what John is trying to do here. Look again at verse 12. What John is doing throughout this whole thing is trying to show us who this story is about. And we see these two phrases, that to those who did receive him and those who believed in his name, this is what we are called to and this is the life that we are invited to to recognize that this life of abundance and newness and eternal life is offered when we receive him as our king. We sang this earlier. Uh, you may or may not have, have recognized or thought about it, but we sang this in the song Joy to the World. We sang, let every heart prepare him room. In other words, will you receive him as your king? Will you allow him to be your authority? John 14 puts it this way. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not just the source of life, but he is the way, he is the truth, he is the organizing principle behind everything. And the question that he gives to you is, will you receive me? Will you welcome me? into every part of your life? Will you allow me to be your king and your shepherd, the one who guides you? And if you do, abundance, renewal, eternal life is ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you for the hope and the promise of the Advent season. Lord, we thank you that in our waiting, that you are working. That you do what you've promised to do. That you bring new life where there is death. That you overflow our cup and that you promise to be with us. So this is our prayer, that we would hold on to that promise and that we would hold on to that hope and that we would do this all in your name. Amen. Amen. As you go today, just a few reminders. First of all, if we can be praying for you, anything going on in your life, our prayer team will be up at the front here in just a moment. Don't forget to register for Christmas Eve. We're so excited to celebrate as a church family together. We hope that you're able to make it. Now, would you receive today's benediction? Would you go now abiding in the deep love of Jesus Christ, the one who is your life? Go in the abundance that he offers you today. Amen.